Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Gary Baldy Red. Um, you'll notice that Matt Davis isn't here, so I'm filling in instead. Um, but we've got two great guests on the show. We've got Michael Temple and Gary Bertles here to discuss, unfortunately, um, another defeat for the Reds um, after they lost at home to Bournemouth on Saturday. Um, please do get your comments in. We'll try and answer as many questions and comments as we can. Um, we'll start by reflecting on Saturday. Um yeah, not not great. Two defeats from two. Um, Michael, we start with you. What what did you think? Yeah, disappointed with the result and the performance. To be honest, I was so heartened having watched the um, Bradford game and the kind of youthful exuberance and the, the possession um, and the fact that you know Forest's um, linchpins were rested for that game. I just thought they'd they'd come in fit, fresh, and firing. But yeah, ultimately two defeats from two at the wrong end of the table um, and needing to uh, needing a statement now, needing a result to bounce back. So, yeah, bitterly disappointing with both the result and the performance, it has to be said. Yeah, Gary, you were quite critical last week of the, the game against Coventry. I guess nothing has anything changed since then in your thoughts? It, it was the manner of the defeat against Coventry that I think upset quite a few people. Going that one goal in front again and then trying to hang on to it, similar to last season. Um and at the weekend, it was always going to be a difficult game against Bournemouth because we know what they're like. And then to get for them to get a man sent off on the hour mark and then not be able to haul ourselves back into the game was a little bit disappointing. I don't know if Lyle Taylor was injured when he went off, but he was substituted and Lewis Grabbing came on. Um, but that surprised me because you've got half an hour left to win a football match or get back in it. And you think, right, OK, let's go for everything we possibly can here. Even if Taylor wasn't playing particularly well, put him and grab it on. Then you've got Mighton, you've got um, Brennan Johnson. And just go for that 30-minute period, hell for leather. Do whatever you can and be so positive as not to lose the game. And I'm not sure whether that happened or not because, you know, I've not seen it. But that would have been, you know, my plan of action. You're losing 2-1. You've got nothing else to lose. If you go and do it by, by being positive and still lose the game, I haven't got a problem with that. But, I, you know, as I say, you know more about that, the, the game and the performance on Saturday than I do. Yeah, I think the, the substitutions was one thing that the manager came in for criticism for afterwards. Um, perhaps not making them at the right time, not making them soon enough, making like-for-like like changes rather than keeping more attacking players on. I guess it's always easy in hindsight, isn't it? But... Carvalho came on with, I think it was less than 10 minutes to go. Lewis Graben was a like-for-like sub for, for Lyle Taylor. Um, Chris Hewton did say afterwards that he was what he thought his team had momentum um, and he didn't want to disrupt that by making a lot of um, substitutions. But when you lose a game, you, you're there, you know, that's what you're, you're there to be criticised for, isn't it? If you don't get the substitutions right. What did you think, Michael? Did you think the changes were made at the right time or... 
I can only agree with Gary. I think um, Forest have a tradition and history of attacking passing football. And when you're chasing a result and uh, opposition have a, have a key man sent off, you have to go for the jugular. Forest have still got depth, still had dangerous players um, on the bench. And having seen the, the impact that Carvalho in particular made against Bradford, uh, the creativity that he brings, uh, the criticism that he perhaps doesn't run uh, backwards with, with quite as much energy as going forwards. But yeah, go for the jugular, make those positive changes and uh, try not to die wondering. He's, we can't avoid talking about him, Yao Carvalho, because he's always the, the subject of debate among supporters. Um, where do you both stand on him? Well, I just agree with Michael there because he wouldn't have had to go backwards for the last half mm. hour because if they, they had 10 men. You just said, right, get on there, get on the front foot. I'm not bothered if you don't defend. We're all right defensively-wise. We've got Cole, Cole back and um, Yates in there. Just go and do what you do best. Get possession, make things happen, do what you did against Bradford. And that would have been my plan of action. Get him on there quickly because he was full of confidence, two goals from midweek, and it didn't happen. It was maybe, and the like-for-like like thing as well. It reminds me of Norwich. You know, that he does the same. Their manager does the same. He, if he takes Pookie off, he'll, you know, he'll put one striker off. If they need to win a game, it'll, it'd be like-for-like. Like. He won't go and say, right, well, we're going to play two up front and try and get something out of the game. It's always like-for-like. Like. And for me, that just doesn't work. Momentum mm. or no momentum. Just do anything you can to get back in a football match if you're losing, especially against 10 men. You know, if you, like I say, if you've got nothing to lose, which they hadn't, if they'd have lost the game, they were losing it at that point. So what? At least you've tried, you've been positive and, uh, you know, you move on to the next game, which is now is going to be very important because a certain Brereton Diaz is uh, in <laughs> decent form and mm. will be looking to uh, rub salt in the wounds even more. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo that. I think Carvalho is a, a luxury player. Uh, if mm. he's starting a game, he needs a minder alongside him. But that kind of situation, um, you know, running at a broken field against 10 men is, is, is made for him. And you know, I personally would have introduced him much sooner. Would you have started him, Michael, do you think, after midweek? Or? Um, probably not. I think his, he was always going to be an impact substitute having played that game. Um, mm. Yeah, he finished his dinner, didn't he? Those those two goals were very, very neatly taken. And there was um, clearly just another level of thought between um, Zink and Agel and, and Carvalho for that second goal. I think it was always part of the plan to, to play him there um, and, and not to play him um, at the weekend. Um, but yeah, look, he gets, he gets people on their feet and, and, and excited. And um, yeah, he was, he was for me, the, 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 the best option to introduce from the bench. And he, he came on after 83 minutes. So, yeah, needs more time to make an impact. And um, personally, I wouldn't have started him in the context of what happened before, but I would have introduced him much sooner. Yeah, I mean, the crowd certainly made their feelings felt. I think they were chanting for him to come on from almost soon after half-time, um, after he'd gone to warm-up. But I think if Chris Hewton didn't know how popular he was with, um, with the fans, he perhaps got that sense on Saturday because they didn't stop singing for him um, until he actually came on. But I'd have been tempted to start him. I really would. Would you? Yeah, because goals give you confidence. As a striker, you know, you can't wait to get out there and play your next game if you scored the previous game. And it was a big game against a big team that might just have suited him. If it hadn't, you know, you could have said, right, after 45 minutes, you could change it round. But give him 45 minutes, you know, something might just have happened. So I can understand why he didn't start, but I would have been tempted to, to start him. 
Yeah, you mentioned it, Gary, that it's only been two games, two defeats, but the pressure is now on, isn't it? Going into that third game, another home game. It, you can't escape it. If you've, if you've lost your first two games, you really need to get off the mark quite quickly. Well, I've been talking to a couple of Forest fans and they're, they're slightly worried already. Um, and I think Chris more or less said that, you know, he was a little bit worried. Uh, nothing's happening in the transfer market, uh, despite efforts to bring players in. It seems a strange transfer market at the moment because very, very little is happening uh, across the board. It's, apart from the Jack Grealish sort of situation, uh, you know, Lionel Messi over, overseas, uh, nothing really seems to be changing a great deal. And I said the previous podcast, Forrest did have one of the biggest squads in the championship, but now it's been whittled down more. So there are less options, you know, with COVID, with the things that have happened there, injuries you'll get anyway um, coming into a new season. So it's it's vital now that this game on Wednesday is is won, really, because you don't want three on the trot, because we know Lamusi had five on the trot. And once you're down in that situation, the confidence level is just plummet very, very quickly throughout the squad. You'll have strong uh, individuals who will try and convince everybody else that, right, we're OK. Uh, you know, yes, it's a bad start, but we can bounce back for, from it. But the a majority of players would think, well, looking at that, we're in the bottom three. If you look at that table and you're at the bottom three after three or four games, and it's, it's a hell of a thing to try and get out of. How many times have we seen it over the past few seasons? We've been down there all season. It's just... You know, last couple of games have got out of it and you just don't want that, you know, that pressure again. Yeah, I mean, the next three games are obviously Blackburn uh, in <coughs> midweek, Stoke away. Um, and then the next league game is, is Derby. Um, what would you see as a good points haul, Michael, from those three games? What what do you think Forrest should be looking for? Um, well, look, let's let's ink in the three points against Derby for starters, <laughs> and then I think we've got to win uh, one one of the other two just for that narrative, as Gary said, not to be about the negativity of um, relegation and avoiding the bottom three, but being aspirational and looking towards um, the top six. I think um, early signs are that that may well be a struggle, but you know we don't want to be in that situation again. We we have to be looking forwards. I still think there'll be more business done. Uh, over the next uh, next few days and that considered recruitment could could well boost the squad boost the feeling of the fans um but yeah as gary said first things first let's avoid defeat against blackburn let's play with positive intent let's not go into our shells pick an attacking lineup and try and put a smile back on the fans faces and also instill some confidence into the the squad yeah there's always a temptation to overreact i suppose a little bit after just two results um Gary, what do you think Forrest should be looking for from the next three games? Blackburn, Stoke and Derby. Well, I was always told to take one one game at a time. You know, you can't look at, you know, the Derby game. You just got to say, right, we've got Blackburn. That's that's the next game. That's all that matters. 90 minutes. We have to win that. We're at home. Uh, it's a game we can win. And, you know, if we don't win, then the pressure becomes more intense. And then you've got a difficult one at Stoke away. And as I say, you, you, you squad confidence just plummets it, it can do luckily I never played very much in a team was you know down struggling I was always you know lucky enough to play in teams that were doing well uh, so I've never actually felt that feeling of, of being down there and, and worrying and but I can I can believe it's it's intense the worry that you would have because the expectation levels for Nottingham Forest are particularly high 
and have been for seasons. And uh, every season we keep being optimistic and every season it just seems like it's, you know, here we go again. It's one of those deja vu. And, uh, you know, the Derby game, they've, they've had a bad start to the season. I mean, 1-0 up and they conceded two in injury time. I mean, so their confidence levels will be absolutely rock bottom as well at the moment. Um, but local derbies can go anyway, can't they? You don't Whether you're top of the league and they're bottom, the bottom team can beat the top. Local derbies are like that. So let's concentrate on Blackburn. Uh, let's not concentrate on Brereton, what he's going to do. Let's concentrate on what we're going to do. Let's have a you know, positive line-up. I, I think he might actually start Cavalio maybe this time. It could be the, the sort of game that might suit him. Mm. Um, and you need creativity. He has that. We've never doubted his ability to create in that final third. It's just the consistency that he's lacked. And I think the adjustment to the championship, because it's such a difficult league, it's a hard league. And if you're one of the players who are making things happen, the opposition know that, and they'll do anything to stop that early in a game. So you'll see, we've seen Mighton get fouled many times. Brennan Johnson so far getting fouled many times. And Carvalho comes under that, you know, same umbrella. But he's got to, he's got to, Climb above that and say, right, okay, yeah, you're failing me because I'm good, I'm a good player, and I'm going to hurt you even more now. You know that's the sort of mentality you have to have. When I was playing, I was told, yeah, if you get kicked and you're down, don't let them know they've hurt you. Get up, smile in the faces, run past them, and they hate that centre halves or people who have kicked you. If you show them you're hurt, they'll do it again and they'll love doing it. If you smile and laugh at them, you know they don't like it. So just do that. Paul Reedy in one of the comments says two DMs in the team mean negative football. There is a lot of debate about that, whether Ryan Yates and Jack Colback are too similar, whether they can play together. Um, I'm not sure that Chris Hewton is going to change his formation. He's pretty stuck on this 4-2-3-1 with two defensive midfielders in there. Um, Michael, what do you think? Do you see it as defensive? Do you think Colback and Yates can play together? It can be defensive. It, it can become four five one, but it can also become four three three. I think it's um, it, it's the formation. It's a very fashionable formation. We've seen England employ it with um, Declan Rice and and, and Calvin Phillips. Um, clearly, the point of having those two defensively minded central midfielders in there is to release the three that are just in front and give them that license to to attack. Are Yates and Colback too similar? Um, yeah, possibly. Uh, I just wonder if um, Yates could be supplemented with a you know more of a box to box midfielder rather than have Colback um, anchoring as well. But the thought process is without him wanting to play two strikers, which he clearly doesn't want to do, he wants to have the the uh, attacking presence out wide. He feels that it's uh, you know a necessary part of being um, hard to beat whilst having those um, three uh, attackers in behind in behind Lyle Taylor. So. Look, I don't think it's worked for Forrest. I think we've persevered with four-two-three-one um, for a long time now, and um, with, without seeing a, a, an uptick in in results. So maybe it is time for a change. But going to Plan B after after two games uh, will certainly be not not be on on Chris Hooten's agenda, regardless of the the pressure um, that he will come under if um, if if this run continues. So yeah, let's. Um, I think Forrest fans want to see more attacking intent. But I think there is a more attacking version of this system rather than trying to redesign from scratch and introduce a new one um, so early in the season. You a fan of it, Gary? That four-two-three-one with with two defensive midfielders? No, not at all. 
never have been, never will be, because I can understand in some games, uh, but the Coventry game, all due respect to Coventry, they're an average team, and playing Colback and Yates as defensive midfielders would have given Coventry a massive lift, because you know they can they, they can play around that. They have the players to be able to do that. If you're playing against somebody like Bournemouth, I can understand it more, and I'd say, yeah, okay. You know, you've got to be flexible with it. You, you can't just play it all the time. You have to look at your opposition and say, right, you know, this is how they play. Maybe today we don't need two defensive uh, midfield players. It didn't, you know, it, we talked about those stats last week and they were horrendous to look at because we were in the bottom two or three in every category of those stats in the final third. And that's because we've got no creativity. We isolate one man up front and we've got two defensive midfield players. So what would you rather have this season after those horrendous stats last season? You like improvement, you like difference. And so far, we're not, we're not seeing that difference. It's exactly the same as it was last season. And if it carries on like that, you know what's going to happen? We're going to be down in that situation again. We're all going to be doom and gloom. And you've got, you've got to change things now. now and again if they're not working. Yes, if you're playing the better, if you're playing the West Broms, if you're playing the Bournemouths, maybe stabilise things, even at home a little bit. You know, always respect your opposition, but don't bow down to them. And I think you bow down to opposition by doing that with two defensive midfielders. Yeah, Richard Ottaway says Sal and, and Garner, James Garner obviously both work there. The DM role needs an athletic, dynamic player like Kante. Look at ours and we're getting it so wrong. Um I guess the hope is that they will get James Garner in at some point and it could change those that pairing. Um, people will say, well, Tyrese Fauna did really well in that cup tie against Bradford and he was controlling the centre of the park, spraying passes around. But he's young, isn't he? He's untested at championship level. Do you, is it, I mean, it is a big call to throw in youngsters, isn't it? At, at this stage and um, this level of football, Michael, would you have, have brought Tyrese Fauna in or, or do you try and ease him, him in gently, do you think? I'm with your commenter. I think we should sign Kante. I think he'd solve our problem. <laughs> yeah. um, that would be yeah. all right, wouldn't it? <laughs> be the best defensive midfield player in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Fauna was um, outstanding uh, against Bradford. Um, really, really caught the eye, despite everybody there really to watch Carvalho and, and Zinkanagel. They'll blood him gently. I think uh, Hooten and, and Gary Brazil have um, been truly excellent at introducing the academy graduates at the, at the right time. Um, is it time to expose him? There's only one way to find out. I think he'll need a few appearances from the bench before he's considered uh, a starter. But yeah, what a prospect. I think he was released by Brighton and picked up by, uh, by Forrest and uh, yeah, has, has clearly caught the eye. Um, his all-round performance against Bradford, where the pace of the passing, the positive intent was uh, there for all to see, was extremely pleasing. And yeah, I think he's a really exciting prospect. Would I blood him just yet? Probably not. Mm, it's difficult, isn't it, Gary? Trying to get that balance between the giving the young players the chance and make, taking that leap of faith in them, I guess. Well, it's probably one, been one of the stronger championship starts to a season, I think, with the teams in there at the moment. And it'd be unfair because results are going badly then to expect young kids to come in and get us out the, you know, out of the mess that we're in. Not not mess we're in early, but we're in the bottom three. We haven't won a game in the league. You know, Bradford, we were expected to beat them and we did beat them. So, um, you know, that was all well and good. Then it was all about the preparation for the Bournemouth game. 
we had the opportunity to get something out of that game because they had a man sent off. We got half an hour, we didn't do it. So then you're going to look at that and you, your confidence levels drop again because you thought, well, we, we perhaps should have got something out of it. And again, it's it's all about the senior players stepping up to the, you know, the hockey, as it were, and, and saying, right, you know, we'll take this by the scruff of the neck. Because last season, we, we mentioned all the negative things about the uh, final third, but we were one of the best defensive teams in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris got that spot on. And when you've got one of the best defences in the league, it gives you more scope than to be more positive further up the pitch because you've got so much confidence in that back four and that goalkeeper that you can allow much more freedom going forward. But I don't think we, we do that. I don't think we release that freedom. We don't allow ourselves to go and take the game to teams as much as we probably could because, I, I mean, when I play, I mean, that, that back four, I played with Lloyd Burns, Anderson, Clark, Barrett. Um, you knew for a fact that you could do what you wanted up there because they were just so good. And it, it, it's a similar situation with that back four. You know, when you've got McKenna and Worrell together, you know, the, the left-back spot is still a problem for me, I think. The right-back area looks pretty good at the moment. So you've got that right. Then say, right, we can maybe just have the one protective midfield player and then play the ones that can, you know, the Corvallios. Let them go and do their tricks. Let them go and do their stuff in that final third. Give them that freedom. Don't shackle them. You know, give the if you're playing one up front, give that one man up front all the support he possibly can because at times that one man has been isolated. You know, Taylor's got a lot of stick, but he, he runs his legs off to try and make things happen and he tires because he's having to do it by himself. And when it does come his way, I think sometimes he's that shattered because he's trying to close down across that back line to stop people coming out. And he's an honest player in that respect. But, you know, he needs help. Any striker, I played that lone role by myself in the European Cup final, as I said before, and I was absolutely shattered, absolutely spent. It's not an easy position to play, believe me. But I was lucky I'd got support. Even though we were sat deep, you know, I, I held the ball up and I got you, you get support in there. And at the moment, I just think we're being shackled from the halfway line forward. I think we have got the potential to go and take it to teams. I think we have the potential to go and win games. But we have to release that ability that is in those forward areas and take it to the opposition instead of being a little bit cautious. It's also, I mean, you mentioned it, Gary, about being defensively solid. Last year they were. That was their their strength. But the goals that they've let in in these first two games have been pretty poor, pretty sloppy goals. Um, I know it was great finishing um, on Saturday, but to be cut open like that, it's not really what you'd expect from Forrest. I think perhaps they, they're missing Joe Worrell in missing the presence that he brings. Um, is there a question mark, do you think, about Brees Samba, Michael? Should he have stopped either of those two goals? Or Well, there's a question mark over him in the 96th minute against um, Coventry. But no, every... it wasn't. No, well, it wasn't. Not for well, me. That was that was the defence's fault. Sorry, I am not having him blamed for that goal. That was purely bad defending for me. Yeah, look, I think nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, he, he would have backed himself to keep it out. But yeah, clearly, what happened in front of him and the fact that Yates conceded that free kick quite needlessly in the build-up would have really frustrated him. And I think in that analysis session, fingers would have been pointed elsewhere. 
I was going to come on to say I would keep faith with Brees Samba. I think over the course of two years, we've seen that he's um, excellent, commands his area, his distribution is amongst the best in the in the championship. He's he's clearly a footballer as well as, well as a keeper. Um, but yeah, he would have had a long, hard look at himself at Coventry. Every keeper makes a mistake. Let's back him. Crack on. He'll come good. I guess another positive, or another positive. One of the positives is that the the new signings have looked good. Phillips and Canagall has looked really bright. Um, I thought Osai Tutu did pretty well, even though he's more of a right back at left back. He did okay on Saturday. So, is there a sense that if Forest can get the right players in, Chris Hutton could maybe do something more with this squad? Do you think? What do you think, Michael? Yeah, Chris Chris Hutton will definitely be banging on doors, um, asking for more recruitment. Um, obviously whispers about the centre-half from Reading. I think a striker will be pretty high on that list now. And the great unknown is what Forest FFP position is. There's this cyclical uh, method of having a year where you go for it. Um, and we saw that last year, often followed by a year where you have to um, cut your cloth accordingly, have more considered recruitment, maybe look to get one or two um, off the wage bill and, and out the door. But Chris Hooten's a very dignified man. I like the fact that he he doesn't um, conduct his uh, feelings, his business through the through the media or through whispers. I think privately, internally, um, he'll still be wanting to bring two or three in. Yeah. Do you think they they desperately need some sign-ins in Gary before the window closes? I think it's obvious. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Reading centre half. I'd rather have the Reading centre forward, uh, Lucas Zhao. Um, Twenty-five goals last season. I mentioned it in the last podcast. Uh, he's, you know, his, his height gives him uh, an extra dimension and it gives the players around a player like that an extra dimension, can feed off him. So I'd rather see somebody like him come in. Uh, going back to the goals at the weekend, Chris said he, he thought there were two soft goals. Mm. Whew, I think that's a bit harsh on the opposition because uh, they were beautifully struck goals. And you can say what you like, the uh, the one at the near post, if you strike it particularly well and particularly hard... Sometimes, you know, you can position perfectly, but it still beats you because of the quality of the strike. And going back to the Coventry game about the the one that he couldn't keep out, I said last last week, the reaction from the defenders was absolutely zero. You know, he's made a fantastic save low down to keep it out. Then the next thing you think is, right, defender, please react. No reaction. Then it comes again. Defender, please react. No, no reaction. And in the end, he's just scrambling on his back after tr- making a wonderful save in the first place to try and keep it out and with no help from anybody mm. around him. So that's why I think it was harsh to blame him for that. I would never, you know, swap him at the moment because everybody said he's, he's one of the best goalkeepers in the league and rightly so. Yeah, every goalkeeper makes a little bit of a clangor now and again. I think the clangers he's made have been for the right reasons. He's been trying to take pressure off his defence and he's, he's sometimes misjudged it in the air but only because he's trying to do the right thing you know as a centre half I played there when you've got a good goalkeeper behind you you are absolutely delighted because they take pressure off you and he tries to do that and he's part of that defence from last season not just the back four it's a back five him as well and that's why we had one of the best defences in the championship and we still have one of the best defences in the championship let's go and build forward now you know, you've got that right. Chris, no surprise in getting that right because he was a cracking defender himself, played against him many times and he knows about defensive qualities and he's got that right. But now, you know, somebody say, let's let's go and get him. 
you know, somebody who's played up front, maybe, you know, go and have a chat with somebody and say, well, what do you think we need? And, you know, it's always nice to be able to talk to other people and say, what do you think? And uh, I think it's blatantly obvious we need something up, up in that final third. And I think then we've got the players around. If we get a decent striker up there, you know, to be a threat. But at the moment, we're not a massive threat. Anybody worried by the first two games? Michael, are you worried? No, I'm, I'm certainly not um, worried. Glass half full. I think there's more to come. There's definitely more improvement from within as well. I think that's the, the point that, that, that Gary's making. We know um, within that squad, we have the ability to shut up shop, keep clean sheets and be, you know, have that, have that defensive solidity, which was the hallmark of big parts of last season. Um, but the, the, the problem is that the taps have been turned off when it comes to, to goal scoring. We all thought Lyle Taylor was a, a potential 20-goal man. We knew a year ago that Lewis Graben was a 20-goal man. Let's see where those boys get to when they're fully fit and firing. Um, but no, certainly not worried at this point. Gary, you concerned at Mike, all? Michael, after Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, if we lose, will you be worried then? Um, well, yeah, because we'll have played three, played three, lost three, and then you, you, you do start to see what that gap opening up. Well, as it ha- as it happens at the minute, no one's won two games. So the, the the top of the championship is a series of teams that have won one and drawn one. Everyone's finding their feet. We've all seen um, last year's Premier League table after ten games is un- unrecognisable at the end. I just think it's it's too soon um, to make that judgment. Uh, the, the game of, of cat and mouse and brinksmanship in the transfer window is, is still ongoing. If I was going to, to nail down a prediction now, I'd say Forrest will recover and become a, a, a mid-table side. Um, so, yeah, not, not worried at this point in time. Far too early to, to, to panic. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd be slightly concerned if we lost to Blackburn. <laughs> <laughs> Very difficult. <laughs> Gary, you sound like you, you might be a little bit concerned. Um, I'm concerned at the, the manner of defeat rather than defeat, uh, especially the first game. I'm not seeing the second game, so, you know, it'd be wrong of me to comment on that. But I can only go on, you know, playing against 10 men for, um, we've mentioned it, for half an hour. Don't don't change like for like. Just if you've got half an hour, it's fantastic. You've actually got half an hour to try and get back in it. You're only one goal behind. And I, like I said, I won't go on again, but it, you go for it. Hell for leather. Last 30 minutes. If it doesn't work, you lose the game. You hold your hands up and say, yeah, but at least we went for it. We tried to get something out of this game. So we've got to move on from that. That's gone now. Pre- preparation is paramount, as I said before. And that has to be for, for Wednesday. It's about bit positivity now because it is only two games. I'm not worried at the moment. You know, I'm slightly concerned, but it's not a major worry at the moment because, like Michael said, Nobody's won two games, which is massively surprising. In all the other leagues, you know, well, Premier League's only just one game in. But the other game, you know, the other leagues, they've won two out of two. So we're only four points behind. It's not masses. But if you lose your third game, then other teams start picking up and there's a a gap becomes apparent. Then even at this early stage, it it can be a difficult thing to haul back, as we've seen from previous seasons, because you can get dragged further in. Because the game after that is Stoke away, and that won't be easy either if you've lost your third game. So, I'd do anything we possibly can to win this game on Wednesday, and just be positive. A little bit more positivity mm. will lift people, and it wouldn't surprise me to see Carvalho start. Um, and I, I don't know who'll play up front whether you'll play uh, Grabbin instead of Taylor, 
be interesting to see the lineup and how he how he goes about it. Whether it be Cole back in Yates again, yeah, that that's going to be the interesting thing. The the actual starting lineup for me. Yeah, I think he said that that Lewis Graben wasn't quite ready to start on Saturday, but another few days perhaps he might be. Um, so will be interesting. Um, I guess to to end or nearly end on a, a big positive was having fans back in the city ground on Saturday. Um, made such a difference first league game with fans back obviously we we had supporters in on Wednesday but it was a proper crowd on Wednesday uh, on Saturday rather made a lot of noise um great to hear Muller Kintyre again um it's just good to have them back isn't it good to have fans and, and proper football back um yeah it's it's been sorely missed over the last year um Gary could you imagine playing without a crowd and what that would have been like and I guess probably reserve football fan, um, players have experienced it before but it's different isn't it when there's so much riding on a game uh, yeah I mean I played in reserve football obviously before I got on the first team and uh, there were fans in there but it was echoed around the stadium but you, you had to lift yourself you, you know it, it was a matter of fact that you had to do that I mean I, I was at Leicester on Saturday I was commentating on the uh, Leicester Wolves game and the noise in that stadium was just absolutely immense I said the previous week I went to see Mansfield v Bristol Rovers and even six and a half thousand people made, you know, one hell of a noise. And it's just the, you watch people's faces, you know, walk into the stadium and there's just such a buzz about the place, such, you know, smiles on everybody's faces. And you can tell the players, the response from it, it lifts you massively. And it was just a great 90 minutes to, to commentate on because, uh, you know, we've been waiting so long for it and, you know, it changes things. It's one of the hardest games or sports of the whole lot without fans. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is the the hardest without fans, you know, to try and lift yourself. You know, athletics, you know, we've seen in the um, uh, Olympics, you know, world records being broken. You, you can do it. Golf course, you know, you can do it on a golf course. You know, you can still play and do that. Cricket, yeah, similar. But football, is is just a massive fans game and just shows how important fans, football fans are. Um, we should not take them for granted ever again because they're, they're the soul of the football club. You know, they without them, you know, there is no real, there's no football club as such. And, uh, you know, Forest fans have been absolutely fantastic, home and away for season upon season. Even though things have not been going well, uh, they're still there. They still sell out every more or less every away game. And the noise they make at home is just absolutely inspirational. And uh, it makes you proud to be a Forest fan. It really does. And, mm. you know, we just hope that can generate to the players and the players can respond and we can start winning games. That's what it's all about. Collective. Do you think it might it might lift some of the players, Michael? I mean, there's there's players, I suppose, that like to entertain, don't they? Your Bree Sambers, your, your Joe Lollies that really respond to a crowd. Do you think it can make a big difference for them? Yeah, of course it does. I'll, I'll swim around, actually. I'm looking out the window here at Trent Bridge. Oh, look the, at that. The kind of uh, hubbub and the clear-up was uh, is, is ongoing. But, yeah, I mean, look, working in the stadium industry has been really difficult for the past two years because we, we're used to that that crowd, that energy, that that lift that it gives to our, our sports teams and, and players. Um, I watched a season of Behind Closed Doors uh, cricket here last year, and it was, yeah, it was quite depressing, actually. And the, the players felt... Um, a kind of lack of energy and a, a real a real difference in the the manner in which they had to go out their business. So yeah, of course it makes a difference. Um, the adrenaline that you know, which Gary will recall from his years in the professional game. I'm not um, 
Well, it makes a difference. You know, I, play, I play in the Nottingham Sunday League. We're, we're lucky if there's uh, one man and his dog watching watching us. But I played yes. in the Nottingham. So I played in the Sunday League as well, so I know exactly where you're coming. from. <laughs> it makes a massive difference. It makes a huge difference. Players give twenty percent more. The energy energy levels are that much higher. And yeah, home advantage really counts. So let's let's make sure it does this week. You win for best office, Michael. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what have you? That was, that, was some, that was some game last night there, wasn't it? Qualified last night, didn't they? Yeah, quite. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to get the cricket plug in, but um, Trent Rockets onto the, onto the knockouts. And, yeah, hopefully the, the Nottingham public will get behind Notts Outlaws in the, in the Blast quarterfinal here at Trent Bridge on the, on the 25th of August. But, look, there is a great kinship between all the, the, the sports teams and clubs um, across Nottingham. Um, massive Forest fan myself. Uh, the rugby boys were here yesterday. Joe Worrell was here yesterday. We're lucky enough to go and, and support Forest. And the impact and the buzz that's apparent when our teams are doing well um, is is just incredible. So look, let's let's hope everything everything can pick up and we can get behind um, Nottinghamshire's teams across um, all sports this season. It was great to see Summit doing so well last night as well. Yeah, you can't put him down, can you? I think no. every, every there's another huge Forest fan. Um, but yeah, every, every time somebody writes Summit off, he comes back and does something like yeah, that. Just an incredible man. performer. Definitely feeds off the crowd. And uh, yeah, I think he's got a he's got a couple more trophies to win this year. Yeah, he can learn a lot from people like Summit because you know he, he just loves what he does. You can see he always plays with a smile on his face, and you know that's what we want collectively around Nottingham. We want Notts to do well, we want Mansfield, cricket, hockey, ice hockey, and and Forest, of course. We're a, we're a very small city compared with a lot of others, mm-hmm. and we're blessed to have as much sports at the you know higher levels that we have. Uh, we just want to be a little bit more greedy, and uh, that's there's nothing wrong with being greedy and want to be uh, eating at the top table. But uh, yeah, let's concentrate on Wednesday and uh, let's hope not cricket from last night could inspire Forest football to go and win a football match on Wednesday because you know that might just kickstart our season. Well, that sounds like a, a good positive way to end. So, um, thank you both. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Gary. Um, thanks for okay. coming on and uh, answering our questions. And thank you to everybody that's watched and commented. And we shall be back again soon. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.